or using your video feature um, that the audio of this session will be recorded. Um, if you are just joining us, um, please go ahead and introduce yourself in the chat um, with your name and your institution um, so that we can get an idea of who is all with us today. Um, we have an exciting session planned. Um, what's going on in online physical education, preparing pre-service teachers to teach effectively in a virtual environment. The session will end at 5.15 p.m. Eastern time, um, but you are invited to stay after the close of the session if you'd like to engage further with the panel until about 5.30. Um, our meeting norms are listed on the slide, and if um, they are, if you'd like to contribute to the discussion, please raise your hand. This feature can be found by hovering over your name in the participant section. I really hope we all know how to, to raise our hands in Zoom by now. Um, when you're called upon by a moderator to contribute, you will be unmuted and please mute yourself once you are finished speaking. Um, everyone is muted for security um, uh, reasons in the chat and so you'll be unmuted by a host um, when you would like to speak. Be understanding that there are many people in this meeting and that you may not get the opportunity to speak. So use the chat feature throughout for side conversations. When and if you do um, contribute in the meeting, please be concise. Be respectful of others' ideas and opinions shared during this meeting. Always assume positive intent. We are in this together and this goes for the chat room as well. We also like to ask that all participants of the Peak Collaborative bear in mind the sense of community that we've striven to develop. We hope to be able to discuss all topics, including problems and challenges through the lens of opportunity and growth. And so with that, I am going to pass it over to Jennifer Krause, who's going to get us kicked off. Great, thanks, Jamie. Um, hi, everyone. Uh, just a brief introduction on um, what we're talking about today and why. Uh, so, you know, over the past year and a half, online learning has become really a primary way to deliver instruction in K-12 and higher education uh, environments. And even as we've gradually returned to in-person learning for many of us, virtual instruction is probably likely here to stay. Um, you know, online learning in physical education or online physical education has been around for a long time. Um, however, you know, as I was, I was sharing with my students, I teach a technology and physical education course. And what, what I think has really happened and we've all, you know, the, the folks who are, are sharing today, we, we discussed how really online learning has almost been like stimulated a lot more rapid, rapidly through this last um, year and a half. And um, online PE is likely here to stay in some form, um, both at the K-12 and higher ed levels. And obviously there are challenges associated with that. Not all of us have been prepared um, formally to teach online. And while I think we'd all, we could all say we're probably better at it now um, out of just having to do it um, forcefully, um, you know, this session hopefully will be helpful. Uh, we've invited some experts that Chad will um, share with us in just a second and people who've been doing this for a long time to share um, their expertise and experiences um, so that we can better prepare pre-service teachers for physical education, not just in person, but online um, as we move forward through the future. So with that said, um, Chad is going to provide us with a little overview and um, 
let us get to know our panelists for the day. For the day. Thanks, Jen. Hey, everybody. It's good to see you all. Uh, here we are talking about online PE, and we're all probably burnt out uh, thinking about it and talking about it. But you know, now that we're sort of uh, on the hopefully on the other end of, of of COVID pandemic, we can kind of take a take a step back and and see where we're at. Um, we kind of thought it'd be an interesting idea to kind of take a play from from the what's going on in the gym monograph from 1978 um, and discuss what's going on in online gym or online physical education. Um, so we've tried to put together a panel um, of, of various experts with, with experience in online physical education. Um, we're thankful that some uh, practitioners agreed to come on and share their experiences. Um, and each of them, as you'll see when they introduce themselves, has, has a, um, a different uh, approach or a different experience as, as it relates to online physical education. Um, we also have some uh, peak faculty with experience researching and integrating online physical education into their program. So we're hoping uh, that with the panel that we've put together, as well as through the chat and any comments and questions that you all have, that at the end of this, we'll have a little bit better of idea what's going on in online physical education beyond maybe what's happening in our immediate vicinity. Um, so I think what we can do, uh, just so everybody's familiar with who's going to be uh, on the panel, we can just take a second here to introduce yourselves. Um, we'll start with the teachers. Um, maybe we can go Shannon, Shelby, Leslie, and then um, I, I don't know if, if is Murray on here yet. Um, Murray, uh, maybe a little bit late. He's teaching. Okay. No worries. Um, and then Dan, David, and Tyler, Tyler's on, um, can just provide a little background about what your experiences are, where you're teaching. Um, before we jump into the bulk of our conversation. So Shannon, you wanna, you wanna start us off? Sure, hi everybody, I'm Shannon Pennington. I teach high school physical education in an alternative setting. So um, I teach in the largest district in Illinois outside of Chicago, and we have an alternative school for students who are credit deficient. And I am teaching an asynchronous course uh, for some of the students in my district. And I am also a PhD student at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Why I think uh, I'm doing both at the same time, I, I think I'm a little loopy, but I'm glad to be here and hope I can share, if anything I can share is useful to everybody. Thanks, Shannon. Shelby, you wanna tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi everyone, my name is Shelby and I'm from the University of Illinois. Um, I study the ways in which we can meet students K through our K through 12 students basic psychological needs through after school programming and uh, health and PE curricula, all with the goal of motivating uh, student wellness and just intrinsic motivation behaviors. I was asked on this panel today specifically in relation to two primary experiences with online PE. Uh, first, in response to COVID in the fall of 2020, I developed and directed a six-week online virtual wellness program for K through fifth graders in the Champaign community affected by poverty. And then second, in collaboration with Chad and Shannon, uh, we developed two online PE high school curriculums for a large school district outside of Chicago. Um, and then in response to COVID, we also created some materials and uh, shared them to help uh, high school PE teachers transition to online learning. Thanks, Shelby. Leslie. Okay, I uh, am Leslie Williams and I have some experience uh, with the Florida Virtual School here in Florida. I'm from Tampa, a uh, number of years teaching there while I was working on my uh, 
PhD at USF, South Florida, and um, was able to work full time. The flexibility there for teachers is just as amazing as it is as it can be for students, um, and often is. But um, working, doing the PhD, working as a grad assistant at USF, got it all done, um, and worked for a season, nine years or so at the University of Tampa. But all the while keeping my foot in the door a little bit with K-12, uh, that organization, I did some part-time work there, did a little bit of research uh, while there. And now I'm back into the full-time K-12 um, Hillsborough Virtual School setting here in Hillsborough County, which is like um, technically the seventh largest school district in the country. Um, and we have thousands of students in the, our Hillsborough Virtual School program, but it is, um, it is, curriculum that is provided by the Florida Virtual School. So it's kind of the same thing that I was doing years ago as well. And just teaching physical education for middle school students and health opportunities through physical education, the whole class that we have here online uh, with high school students. Awesome, thanks, Leslie. So, so what we're seeing here, sort of just some background is, you know, Shannon's got obvious experience in an alternative school setting, which I think might be interesting. So as you're thinking of questions, um, we have alternative, uh, school online physical education setting. Shelby's got a little bit of CSPAP potential with her after school program and, and curriculum design there for large school district. And Leslie, I guess we could call yours more of a standard virtual school experience, although um, you've all have also um, uh, worked in a PEAT setting, so you have a very unique uh, perspective as well. So uh, we also have three PEAT professionals uh, with experience um, integrating online or technology into their program. So Dan, you just want to introduce yourself. Um, I think that Chad might have frozen. So if somebody wants to jump in. Okay, uh, you can hear me now. I was just trying to unmute myself. Um, yeah, my name is Dan Gavrish. Um, I am also a uh, doctoral student at the University of Illinois, um, and I study with Kevin Richards um, as my advisor. I uh, have been researching and um, looking at how technology is integrated into physical education, teacher education as one of my topics um, that I am interested in. Um, been able to work on a few articles along those lines as well. Um, I also, at the same time as pursuing my doctorate, I am a uh, full-time uh, physical education teacher educator at Martin Luther College in New Ulm, Minnesota, which is where I'm located currently. And um, I've been serving as the division chair here for the last couple of years as well. Um, my experience working with technology within my own courses that I teach and lead here, as well as courses I have designed and taught in the past and continue to facilitate, especially uh, one that would stand out would be our Fitness for Life course, which is an activity course. Um, and um, all of our undergrads take it, including all education majors and PEEP majors. Um, and that course has been taught primarily as a hybrid course in the past. Um, for the past six years now. So when we had to transition to all online um, during the pandemic, that was a rather seamless transition for that course. Uh, we felt set up for success with the technology tools that we were using at that time. And uh, we've held on to a lot of things that we've learned uh, through that as well, now that we are back in person. 
Um, so I'm honored and uh, feel privileged to be here and learn from all of you as well today. Dan's got the socialization perspective here too. So look forward to hearing a little bit about that. Um, Tyler, you want to introduce yourself? Glad yeah. to see you, man. Yeah, yeah. I thought, uh, thought we'd be having a baby today. So uh, that's on pause for a little bit. <laughs> we'll see. We uh, might be going back to the hospital here soon, but hey, why not spend a little time with you guys while we wait it out? Um, so I'm Tyler Goat. I currently teach at uh, Emporia State University. Um, I've been teaching and researching online PE for about uh, since 2012, which kind of makes sense because I think I've ran into every single panelist here, <laughs> at least one amongst conferences. Uh, research mainly kind of focusing like how do we train future and current teachers uh, to teach online physical education or like old Pete. Um, additionally, kind of designed and developed some professional development pre-COVID and post-COVID uh, to kind of train teachers on like how do you actually kind of move all your physical education content online and do it effectively. Thanks, man. Glad to have you here. And then David, um, David Dom's going to introduce himself. Um, I just want to put a plug in for the podcast that he recently did with Risto um, that he'll, that gives a 45 minute or hour long explanation. Um, after he introduces himself, I'm just going to provide a little bit of background about online physical education, sort of where have we been and where he thinks we're going. Um, and then we'll slingshot that into the, the, the main part of our uh, conversation. So David. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. Uh, so yeah, my name is David Dom. I am at San Jose State University. I'm a PEAT faculty member there, um, entering my fifth year there. Um, but I graduated from University of Illinois, so we got a lot of U of I uh, alum or uh, current students, so that's nice to see. Um, so uh, yeah, I graduated in 2012, but from there, uh, did my doctoral dissertation related to online. I first started doing research related to online physical education um, in my master's program. When I was, uh, uh, for some of you that know uh, Craig Bushner, the recently retired Craig Bushner uh, at Chico State. Um, so he was my uh, advisor there. And, and when he was NASPY president, when, you know, rest in peace, NASPY, but <laughs> uh, he got me involved in this area of research. Um, and so I've been involved in it ever since. And it's been nice to, to see kind of what initially was kind of a couple people doing research in this area growing over the years. Uh, I think, you know, I ran into Brian Mosier uh, early on as one of the other people doing research in this area, and that's grown. It's nice to see Leslie here. She's kind of, again, one of the, the first people as well doing research in this area. And then meeting Chad, you know, people like Chad and Tyler at conferences along the way and, and some of the other folks. So it's nice to see that we have kind of a growing body of, of interested peak faculty um, into looking into online physical education is I think what we'll talk about is, is that it is growing um, and has been growing just online education in general. So I think, you know, we'll definitely talk about that. So Chad, you just wanted to go into straight into, into the intro part of it. Yeah. So we're, you know, one of the purposes of this conversation is for, for us to really, you know, try to get a broader idea of, of what, what's going on. And so Jamie, maybe you can throw up the poll now um, and, and we'll kind of hit on this through the next part of our conversation, but you know, how prevalent is online physical education maybe in your surrounding areas? So if everybody answers this question, we can get you know, a little bit more specific about it uh, as David sort of explains you know, sort of the extent of online physical education um, in the recent past and, and, and currently. So there is a poll that probably popped up there if everybody wants to answer that. Well, David kind of gives us some initial background. Sure. 
So, you know, yeah, brief, right. Let's think pre-pandemic, right? Pre-pandemic, uh, you know, distance learning has been around for well over a hundred years in some way, shape or form. Um, so online ed education is just the next iteration of distance learning. Um, you know, online education, including uh, health and fitness uh, or health and physical education has been, has been increasing over time over the last 20 years. Um, health and fitness courses, and they clump them together uh, with health and fitness makes up about 8% of course completions, uh, again, pre-pandemic. Um, but also thinking about you know, what number of students were engaged in online learning pre-pandemic. Um, and, and there's data that, that represent that there's about four, no more than 4% of any state's K-12 population was fully online students, right? So there's a, the difficulty of measuring, you know, how many students engage in online courses on a part-time basis. It's easier to measure those that are in, engaged in full-time. There's just a lot of complexities in working with online schools uh, and just measuring, just even getting a realistic expectation or realistic number of students who are engaged, K-12 students who are engaged in online learning. Um, just with the number of students who are taking, you know, maybe some there's high school students that take online courses at universities, for example, and the, the differences between private and public course offerings and just getting an accurate count. So there's a better feel out there of how many full-time K-12 students there are, but there's the, the estimates of part-timers is kind of all over the map. Um, there's certainly more awareness, I would say, in the PEAT community. Uh, just kind of anecdotally, I'll say there's more awareness um, related to online physical education as a whole. I think we this started in many ways in, in the 2006 Shape of the Nation report, uh, which really kind of started the conversation at the at NASPY at NASPY now Shape around um, online physical education and what that was and and all that. So in, in the 2006 Shape of the Nation report. They identified that there were 12 states that had policies related to allowing physical education credits to be earned online, and that grew to 31 states in 2016. Um, and I think right now it's safe to assume that online education, including online physical education, is happening in all states. And, and that was even pre-pandemic. Um, and, and certainly, again, now we're, we're definitely seeing the results of, of just the pandemic and the effect of um, you know, everybody shifting online. Um, what we do know about those courses that they were largely fitness focused, again, pre-pandemic. I think one of the fascinating things, especially, especially for those of you that had taught online physical education prior to the pandemic, uh, you know, one of the things I'd really love to dig deeper into is, you know, what effect the pandemic had on these fully online courses, you know, that, that existed pre-pandemic and are in existence now. Because uh, I think the pandemic just shifted our knowledge base of what is even possible online um, so much. Uh, just the pedagogy behind it, the tools we're using, um, kind of opened our eyes in many ways of, of what is possible online. Um, but the pre-pandemic, they were largely fitness focused, focusing on the cognitive domain. Um, what we'll say, the research was sparse. <laughs> uh, again, just the complexities of dealing with online programming and doing research with online schools was, was difficult. There's no doubt about that. 
Um, but there's no doubt in my mind that online education or distance education is going to continue and physical education is certainly going to be a part of it. Will it ever be the predominant mode of education? No, I, I can't. I can't imagine a world that that actually happens, at least not in our lifetimes. Um, personally, you know, I'm seeing more online and hybrid physical education positions as districts are still offering online learning options as we're kind of still in the pandemic and, and even as we start exiting out. I'm super interested in just seeing what online education enrollment looks like five years from now. You know, is it going to return to 4% of the student population? Is it going to be 10%, 50% higher? Um, you know, and, and obviously there's impacts there for us as PEAT faculty and the research. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I know I've talked about this with others, but, you know, we, the research line related to online physical education needs to mature beyond the, the kind of the what's happening and start offering solutions, um, you know, for, for the uh, in-service teachers of, of how we make this a, a, a good uh, quality physical education. And I know Tyler plugged the uh, podcast and I appreciate that. That was really uh, a great conversation with Risto. Um, and I certainly uh, encourage everybody to check out the article that uh, Tyler, Chad, uh, Brian and myself wrote, um, really dealing with guiding the research forward related to online physical education. So that one was published recently in the spring. So, um, and I see that uh, someone put that in the chat. So. Um, certainly encourage everybody to check that out if you're interested in, in future research um, and where that's going. But uh, I guess that's all I had, Chad. Um, and I know you thanks. have some other stuff. Yeah, thanks, David. Um, so, you know, obviously it existed before. It's grown uh, since the pandemic. And we look at these, uh, uh, the poll questions, are you aware of any online physical education programs in the area of your university? And, you know, the panelists and all of us weren't able to vote on this. So, so we had um, a little bit less participation in the whole call. But there's a lot of responses that say yes. So, so there's also a lot of responses that say no. Similarly, uh, about half of us, or a little more than half of us, offer online learning in, um, in our programs. There's still a group that do not. And I think that's the question we're all asking is, you know, is this something that we do need to address long-term in our programs? Is online physical education you know, viable enough entity within the public schools that we really owe it to our, our graduates to give them that skill set. Um, so David mentioned, you know, if we're going to be teaching it or, or alluded to it, if we're going to be teaching it in our programs, we sort of need to know what quality is. Um, and unfortunately, today is sort of a descriptive conversation. We're going to we're going to try to dig a little deeper into like what it even looks like. But, you know, at the end of the day, we need to get to the point where we can really articulate what quality online physical education looks like. Um, so the rest of our conversation is going to be sort of uh, guided by the essential components of physical education. So we're going to sort of take policy, curriculum, instruction, and assessment um, and see what's going on in each of those areas while we, while we talk to the practitioners. So um, Casey, you want to guide our policy discussion here? So if you have questions related to policy uh, in an alternative online PE school and a CISFAP online program or sort of in a general virtual environment, please don't hesitate to throw those in in the chat and, and we'll be sure to ask the panelists um, soon. Yes, uh, thank you all for being here, Case and O'Neill, East Tennessee uh, State. And the first kind of section we're going to direct towards the in-service teachers, and we don't we're kind of doing a Q and A format, as Chad and Jen mentioned. So, uh, to our in-service panelists, just kind of jump in here. But the first thing we want to know is, you know, describe to us 
really the structure, you know, how many students, um, I have some follow-ups here, but kind of just in general, describe us what you feel like you're doing and kind of the structure of your class in general for online PE. I'll go first. Um, from a CSPAT perspective for after-school programming, the IPALS virtual wellness program was 75% asynchronous and then 25% synchronous. There were four activities per week uh, and the first three were all asynchronous. First was cognitive learning uh, through an ed puzzle video. Um, second was affective learning through peer-to-peer -peer video discussions. And third was psychomotor learning um, with family interaction, applying what they learned in the other two aspects. And then the synchronous component was an optional one-on-one -on -one Zoom tutoring session um, with a University of Illinois student that was trained to work for the program. I can go. Um, the course that um, I'm teaching in the district Chad Shelby and I developed based on feedback that we had received from students about another online um, course that they had been taking. And so uh, each teacher throughout the district, because the course is offered at all five, six of our high schools, um, we developed sort of a textbook that had the content, but the teachers then take that content and create the videos so that the kids are actually seeing a teacher who is from their building, who is familiar to them. In my case, almost all of my virtual students are also in a face-to-face -face with me because as I mentioned before, they're credit deficient. So some of them have many PE classes throughout the day. Um, and so I, I'm a familiar face rather than just a random person sort of delivering content um, as some of their other online classes are. So we have um, content assessment, like a quiz that they need to take over that content. There is a reflection every week. And then we use polar uh, wrist devices to measure heart rate or physical activity. So there are teachers in the other buildings who um, use heart rate. And I choose to use steps because my emphasis in the alternative setting is more on physical activity and less so on heart rate and exercise. Um, and trying to reduce sedentary behavior, especially post-pandemic, when there was a lot of laying in bed all day um, and just trying to get them up and moving has been my focus with that course. Leslie, how about you? Okay, uh, <clears throat> so I would this I would just maybe speak to the HOPE class, the Health Opportunities Through Physical Education was a blend of health and PE um, quite a few years ago, the state of Florida decided to combine these two semester courses into one year long course. And um, so this class has a number of health related topics throughout. It's got, it's divided into two semesters. It's fully online. It's, um, it's asynchronous. There are optional live tutoring sessions or optional live um, sessions where we go over specific lessons and you know, a lot of my students and a lot of our students are part-time, so they're going to be in their brick and mortar school. They're not going to have an opportunity to um, attend a live session, but we record the Zoom sessions and post them on our homepage for those who maybe uh, would find that interesting. Uh, but generally, it's broken down into three, three modules per semester, and a student may get through um, a module every three or four weeks or so. Uh, depending on what pace they want to keep it's i mean they technically could take the 12 to 15 weeks per 
per semester course to move through three modules. They've got a number of uh, reading assignments to do, a number, a handful of written assignments to do. They've got fitness testing to do, and there's all kinds of guidance about how to conduct those fitness tests at home with the help um, of family members. And they've got an activity log to complete. So they've got to participate in their, you know, whatever they choose to participate in for uh, physical fitness and exercise and recreation activity, they log it. We confirm as they submit logs and wellness plans and details about their fitness scores and then updated fitness scores throughout. Um, we're checking with them over the phone. We confirm with parents, hey, are you helping Johnny with the, you know, checking the sit and reach and, or yeah, how's it going? He says he's doing, um, he's playing basketball and he's, you know, got, um, you know, whatever else. So the parent typically is the one we ask to confirm the physical activity and we look at the logs and, you know, you might see a, if you see anything that catches your attention that says, yeah, I'm not sure he's doing this, what he's put down here, then, you know, we definitely convey from the very beginning about the importance of academic integrity. And they just, you know, they, our systems, uh, the administrators won't, I mean, they hold that in high esteem. And so the kids are um, aware of that up front. If there's any indication that something might not be authentic, um, you know, we have opportunities to kind of move that through a, an academic, uh, academic integrity uh, system to maybe they know that they might be in jeopardy of not passing the class with us if they are going to do something like that. But uh, so generally, you hear a lot from students about different activities they enjoy. We have a lot of kids who are participating in dance um, and uh, kids who are on a team. We have kids who really don't care. The parent will say, yeah, he's not he doesn't really care for physical activity, but we're going to work on it together. We're going to go out walking. I had a fella today who I was looking at my Google Translate to speak with a parent today and make sure I um, conveyed to him in Spanish. He was predominantly a um, um, Spanish as his first language and we kind of mixed it up and it was a wonderful conversation, but he, um, he said, yeah, she, I sometimes go with her. So I will, I know she's doing the exercise and I sometimes go out and walk with her. So it, it is nice that you hear from parents who are getting engaged in the activity along with their kids. So bringing it into the home has a lot of benefits that way too. So a kind of a follow-up question, and I know there's some content-based questions that I, my colleague Jen is going to handle here in a minute, but I'm thinking more like top of the lesson plan stuff, more the nuts and bolts. And for the three of you, like, you know, before we talk about like, you know, the content and I see some stuff about like, tell me about when they meet, how often, what are the size of these classes? Um, you know, do they have to, you know, do they have equipment? How do you manage kind of the kind of the, the management type overall, how would you kind of answer that question? I'll share that it is very um, sort of wellness, physical activity based in this particular course and flexibility with sort of self-determination in mind. Like we, we want kids to be able to choose things that they enjoy and that they like and that they have access to. We are not able to provide equipment for them for this course. Um, and so that's why I am more about using the steps on their polar devices, or I have actually switched over to kids using their iPhones 
because they always have their phones. And so it, it tracks steps. And so I, I do averages that way. Um, and I mentioned in the chat, most of the other schools are up to 50 students and some teachers have multiple sections of this online course. Um, but in my school, we cap all of our classes at 15. So I have a much smaller number of students and therefore I can create individualized um, rubrics for them. But teacher burden in the other schools, that's just not possible to, to be able to individualize uh, the rubrics for students that way. Um, so I'm lucky in this setting that, that the numbers are lower, but also in this setting, they absolutely have to be. You know, we're talking about kids who hate school, hate PE, hate everybody, and we're trying to get them excited and connected to something. Um, so that makes my situation um, a little bit more unique because I'm, I'm not quite assessing the skill performance in the same way. I'm just really assessing physical activity and minimizing sedentary behavior. For the after school program, iPals, I'm going to quickly share my screen. And you can see that since this program was done 100% in the student's home, we did provide them with uh, some equipment such as a um, kid-friendly Fitbit, weekly meal supplies, a yoga mat. Um, we gave them headphones um, for the virtual learning and also cooking utensils, kid-safe knives, um, spatulas, bowls, um, to really be able to help them apply that learning at home uh, with their families. And I'll share this link to the website in the chat. Great, thank you. Leslie, talk to me a little bit about the context of how you set it up. Hmm. Well, there are about eight uh, PE teachers in, in our Hillsborough Virtual School that's within our county of uh, Hillsborough Public School System. We've, we've got a fully, uh, we've got some of the students there are, are full-time, some are part-time, uh, but Essentially, I would say an estimate, we've got probably 1,500 students right now in any uh, number of PE classes, whether it's the HOPE class or middle school PE, um, and that's secondary. So I'm not counting the elementary. We've got some full-time elementary students also who are doing PE classes online too. But um, it's everyone's moving at their own individual pace. Uh, we have pace guides that they can follow. We even have an interactive individual pace planner, that they, a tool that they can plug in it's, you know, it shows your start date when you go into that resource and plug in the date you want to finish. It'll give them a nice pace guide to follow. So they're looking at goals to meet, you know, three assignments or so per week to finish in a timely fashion, 12 weeks or so. Um, but some kids move faster, some move slower. And the, the things that they submit for grading go into my grade book. And I'm responsible for grading and giving quality, detailed feedback on their submissions, on their work. Um, within two days, within 48 hours, uh, feedback to them, and then uh, giving them opportunity to resubmit if there's and guidance on what to do to resubmit if they'd like to try again and, and bring the grade up if needed. Um, and calls to parents are required every four weeks. Uh, so I've got to make a verbal communication uh, with parents every month. Uh, we've got discussion-based assignments that come up periodically throughout the course. So in mod, at the end of module one, the student is going to be required to contact me, and I've got a tool on my homepage that gives them a Calendly um, appointment. I've chosen Calendly to use, and they can easily schedule an appointment time for me, and I'll call them, you know, at that time, and we 
I give them a little guidance on what I'm going to ask them about, about some of the topics, as there are so many topics covered uh, up to a given point. And I'll give them a little bit of guidance about what for sure to know for topics to review. They can use notes when they're talking to me. They can um, use notes on quizzes. There are a number of little short quizzes throughout the course and a semester exam at the end. They're given the guidance that you can, if you're taking notes, you can use your notes on the semester exam. Um, they, I think they know that the system will kick them out of the test if they're trying to open their course in any way outside of that test that they're in. Um, so, it's very um, individualized, and I'll, I, we have a, a, an office, like a, a administrative area where I can track all the calls I need to make. When it's time for a call, it turns red. Um, so nobody likes to live in the red. We all, all of us teachers want to be clear of the red, and so we're always working to um, make sure that our uh, last parent monthly contact, you know, is not with past like four weeks or so. But I don't know, what else might you like to know? The, um, I'll, so we text, we text a lot. Students will text me. They love texting for communication. Hey, can you tell me about this? We pop in, we have, I have my own Zoom um, resource through the Florida Virtual School. You know, Hillsborough Virtual, I mean, Hillsborough County, purchases that content, that curriculum from Florida Virtual School at a very high price. Um, and so kind of interesting, uh, but they they provide us with a very professional Zoom um, tool and students can pop in. They, I have my Zoom link on the homepage. They can, hey, you want to meet me in Zoom and I'll share my screen and go over that with you that way. Or a lot of people, we just talk on the phone, um, but uh, a lot of different ways to communicate and make sure they're on track. We're tracking their last assignment submission. So there's a lot of tracking involved, a lot of student monitoring to make sure they're on pace and, and we don't lose them. You know, I've got a couple hundred students, all of them, close to 200 students um, at any given moment. And, and we're responsible for helping them along. And, you know, not everybody's working though. So some of them have, They've not been on pace, and so it's our job to try to bring them back in and say, hey, you want to finish your course? Uh, so this is a the HOPE class that I'm speaking of right now is a required high school course, required uh, one credit, and it also what it also meets um, is the one credit requirement in the state that for high school graduation, they need one online credit to graduate. And uh, so this class kind of meets that as well and it's handy that way um so all right well thank you very much i am going to turn things and i think a lot of people are in the chat wanting to know more about the content and skill-based instruction so i'm going to turn things back uh jen are you taking over now yes thank you so much Kason. um just really quickly before we move on to our next questions um our other panelist is here. Uh, Murray Wallace has joined us. He just um, finished teaching for the day, I believe. So um, Murray, if you wouldn't mind just uh, um, unmuting yourself and um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Where do you teach? What do you teach? And tell us a little bit about um, the online physical education courses that you teach. Sure, thanks, Jen. Um, my name is Murray Wallace. Uh, as you might have noticed, I'm not from the United States of America, so please apologize if you don't understand me. 
and Matt Madden can translate for me. I'm pretty sure if he's paying any attention to anything. Um, I teach in St. Vrain Valley School District in Colorado, um, and we did not have an online school until um, the COVID crisis or pandemic. Um, and we started an online school because we were going to lose three and a half to 4,000 students. Um, and then this year they decided to continue that as a school, which originally had a, a K-12 enrollment of about 300, um, of which we're now up to about 650. So um, classes have changed quite a lot. I teach um, middle school PE, two sections of middle school PE, two sections of high school PE, um, and a high school health class. Uh, and my classes started off about 20-ish numbers wise, and now are up to, well, my high school classes are up to like 46 and, and 50 type thing. Um, yeah, so we actually do have access to Florida virtual curriculum as well. Um, although we're trying to kind of wean ourselves off that a little bit, but I do use some of their stuff. Um, I mean, it's, it can be quite professional and, and things like that. So it's actually not too bad sometimes. Um, but a lot of the stuff is stuff that I kind of created myself. And we're a brand new school and I've got great administrators who are like, try stuff, do stuff, have a go. Um, so I, I really, I, I did kind of try stuff. Um, you know, my, my goal really for my students is that they uh, engage in lifelong healthful physical activity, which I think is ultimately the goal of, you know, our, our physical education programs. So um, I'm not so concerned about what they're doing when they're necessarily in my class and um, physical activity wise, as much as I'm concerned about the other 23 hours in the day when they, um, and their other hopefully 80 years of life type of thing. So I, I focus a lot on health related fitness concepts, content, knowledge, um, and I actually do do skill-related fitness, and when they're doing um, skill assessments or something, I ask them to pick their own skill and maybe take a photograph of themselves doing it or a video of themselves doing it, um, and then maybe, you know, like practicing for a couple of weeks and then showing me the, their improvement. Um, and if they're that, I'm quite happy for them to pick, you know, photos of or photographs on the internet of somebody who's doing this unskilled and somebody who's doing this skilled and then explain it to me type of thing. Um, so a lot of cognitive type assessments. I do, we, we are required to do some asynchronous learning time um, just for the state requirements. So I do do activity logs and particularly on those days when they're not actually in class um, are those days where I'm really trying to log those hours. So that, that's kind of a brief, quick introduction. So. Thank you so much, Murray. Um, we also actually have another um, Colorado online PE teacher in the room, Jamie Morrison. And Jamie, if you're able to kind of share a little bit about what you teach and maybe get into our next kind of bridging into our next question is uh, just to give us a background on what you teach and where you teach and then um, what kind of what content um, does your curriculum address and how does that fit into the broader physical education curriculum um, of the district and school and maybe even how you develop that? Yeah, hi. Uh, thanks, Jennifer. Um, and I'm meeting everybody really mostly here for the first time, but uh, I've been teaching online uh, PE for about four years now. Um, I teach with k12.com and I believe, um, I know there was someone researching, so they've been around yeah, for about 20 years. 
Um, I think high school and as far as I'm going to give you the three main points here. Um, the first is they have the luxury of already having a online system in place. So the content, the curriculum, everything was given to me um, as I hired on day one. Much like a school district says, hey, here's our curriculum. I get to then modify it from there. Um, which the first modification kind of came with, I think where this conversation I see in the chat is it seems to be very skill-based or activity-based in that kind of approach. Um, and I'm sorry, uh, Ms. McMillan, uh, if you don't mind, can I screen share real quick? Because I was gonna also show, okay, great, thank you. So you're gonna see an example here of what the modification of an activity log is. And basically it comes down to this, is it, to be very bluntly honest, and a nice part about being the stranger in the room is, um, yeah, I'm not the high level <laughs> college, college person. I honestly pretty much assume that the activity written on the left here is a lie. And I know that sounds very harsh, but the reason why is because it takes so much time and effort for me to try and even prove it. Um, but what I do then validate my activity log with is what I write on the right. Um, and so these are what I call, again, pulled from straight from those standards is, um, these are those inquiry based uh, questions from the standards. And uh, of course I modify a little bit, but you can start to see it from the students answers that now I'm actually getting a lot more valid evidence as to what are they actually reflecting on with their knowledge of activity. Um, so this also reaches those other cognitive standards. Um, and then also, of course, I throw in other higher level type of questioning onto the activity log. This, in, in a sense, to be honest, um, becomes the essence of then where my teaching is guided for the next week. And so the way that we have it set up is each week becomes a different set of questions, a different set of standards-based questions that will be asked to the students for them to answer. Um, they are not required to answer all of them, but they do need to answer at least five of them, okay? And it kind of goes into that policy of, hey, be active five days a week, um, but they get that flexibility. Now, of course, my first year of teaching, um, I was gung-ho and it's activity driven and everything there. But what I found out is, yeah, the, the population we had before the pandemic were typically kids that did not want to be active and quite frankly, didn't really want to even have a social aspect of it all. Um, that's where I had to start getting creative as reaching those other standards in PE and started creating extra credit options for students. So we did have some students that actually were quite honest and said, I'm not reaching 30 minutes of activity a day, not even gonna happen. And so instead it was saying, well, but do you still have knowledge? Even though yet you're not reaching our first standard in PE, are you reaching those other three? And this is where it started to really open up as far as the opportunity that I'm able to provide as far as uh, diversity to students online, I have so much more time than I did when I'm in the classroom. And so this is a student assignment here that kind of shows you they get a quote and then they have to rewrite that quote. And then they have to identify how do they categorize that quote? And then even describe your own connection to it in their life. And so they have different quotes given to them and then they can rewrite them and follow this same type of setup. Um, what then I can tell you is 
it's from these then alternative type of assignments that we really truly are trying to tap into this niche of online PE is a lot of potential of really individualizing to reflection and then almost that independent coaching um, that I can provide. And I believe it was Leslie that mentioned earlier, we also have a quota at K-12 that requires us to reach, uh, ours is actually 20 calls a week. So each week I have uh, 20 calls to a parent or a family or a student. And it's extremely um, invaluable in that it's through those 20 conversations that actually is really where I'm making my connection. Uh, like, like Murray said, I will maybe luckily have 33 students out of 220 attend my online class, but um, I have right now an 88% passing rate um, with students um, with that online setup. And I think part of it is because the individualization and it's also going back to this last point here is this is where I really take pride with PE is that you get credit for walking dogs with your mom. And that's the part. And when you start getting other students that start to really be honest and say, yeah, I mowed the grass. I um, did some chores around the house. And you're able to encourage that type of just not vigorous, but it is activity. And it is that part that starts to encourage them that says, for a kid that wants to play video games is being honest and saying, yeah, I did 15 minutes of chores. And I know that's starting to work towards my health. I see that as a feedback. So I hope that kind of leads us into that discussion of the other opportunities that we have here um, online. Thanks everyone for having me. Thank you so much, Jamie. And we appreciate you sharing some of the work that you do and the students do um, in your course. Um, <clears throat> I think uh, just for time's sake, I think we uh, maybe Chad wanted to wants to jump in with some questions around appropriate instruction um, and assessment. I know we mentioned assessment a little bit um, and you shared some too, Jamie, um, but uh, Chad, do you wanna jump in? Yeah, so I'm paying attention to these interesting issues here in the chat. I think, you know, what we're seeing here is, is the variety of, of context, the variety of environments, the variety of, of different contents. And I think, you know, it speaks to the broader conversation that we have as a field need to have, you know, related to what's best to teach, how best to teach it in not only face-to-face, -face, obviously, but in, in the online environment. Um, and so, you know, we're getting in the appropriate instruction and assessment aspect. Tyler, if you're still on, I don't mean to put you on the spot, but, you know, you're the app guru, you know, sort of all the different strategies to sort of uh, encourage engagement and that sort of thing. So what have you seen in, in your professional developments that teachers are using that are effective in, promoting engagement, not just in, you know, reflective assignments, not just in, you know, knowledge-based assignments, but also in MVPA or in skill development. Yeah. So if I'm looking at a piece of software, it usually has like three make or break things that like, if I'm not going to use it, if it doesn't include these three things, first one, it's free. So that one's kind of goes without saying, so the students can get, uh, the second one is, does it have a dedicated course site? That means, can I have a mobile application like MyFitnessPal, but also log on to it on my PC. So as an instructor, I can see everything at once and have them all grouped together. So it has to have an instructor, like that type of view for it. And also, you know, so you avoid the digital dog ate my homework, like, hey, the app crashed, I wasn't able to record. Well, hey, go on your PC and log it. It avoids that issue too. And then the biggest one, the third one, the ability to create and share. If the piece of software doesn't have the ability to create and share, uh, that's where you kind of limit it, where uh, the student's going to kind of have a voice and a choice in individualizing that content. 
um, to kind of meet their own goals related to what you're kind of relaying to them in online PE. And kind of as I look in the chat, you know, I think people have identified probably one of the bigger holes in online PE, which is um, teaching fundamental uh, motor skills. Uh, that is probably the big hole that we, you know, kind of haven't uh, been able to fill yet. And it's because, you know, there's something to that in the moment feedback uh, that you don't have. So, yes, could you have a video analysis application where they take the video and they have to like, uh, like on a huddle or a coach my video and tell you, hey, here's the correct critical skills and square it and circle the bad critical skill elements, then write a review and tell you why. Problem with that is, well, they've already repped out the bad skills so many times uh, before you've evaluated the, uh, the still shot. So until tech and cost catch up to uh, that, it's probably just not feasible to really hit that skill development. That's probably why we saw so many elementary uh, teachers frustrated during the pandemic since it focuses so hard on that. Yeah, and, I, and I'm wondering sort of, you know, if it's not a, also a limitation sort of how we're conceptualizing, you know, online PE and how we can integrate it within sort of the physical school building um, if it's anchored to one. Um, through the research and thinking that I've been doing it is I always wonder if there's an online physical education course, shouldn't the school provide space and time and equipment for students that are enrolled in online physical education to be physically active? Um, for example, in, in U46, that's an ex-urban school district where not every student is near a green space or a walking trail or an area to be physically active. Um, and so could we use online physical education as a catalyst for before and after school opportunities? Because in a sense, it's, it, it really, it might be an ethical responsibility of the school or the teacher to be able to provide that space, that supervision, that equipment for them to engage in the required physical activity for the day or for the week. Um, and by extension, maybe that's also an opportunity where, where teachers can uh, evaluate skill development if that's something that they want to do or if it's within the, the curriculum. So um, yeah, thanks, Tyler. Sorry. And yeah, and you're right, Chad, an ideal situation like U46, you know, they provide the space for them to come in. Um, someone spoken earlier, they said that like, you know, it was like 75% asynchronous, 25% face to face. That's really when the rubber meets the road. Uh, when you're talking about, hey, are they actually picking up what we're stepping in when I give the content out to them? So that's usually where they come back for the, uh, the check. So the skill check, they come back in and you can actually see like, hey, were you out there doing this work on your own, especially if you're doing like cardiovascular, like fitness testing and stuff like pre- middle and post. Uh, that's like the ideal situation if you could do it. Yeah. And so when we're talking about assessment or instruction, we also talk about assessment and, and we've heard a lot about heart rate monitors and physical activity logs. Um, Shelby or Shannon, do you want to talk about sort of the progressive heart rate rubric that's used um, up there in Illinois? I think you know, we talk about the, the autonomy that online physical education provides, but do we also allow that flexibility in terms of the way that we're assessing students? And so um, if one of you wants to talk about that, I think it's a really unique tool. Um, you want me to talk about it? <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because Chad Shelby and I had lots of conversations about best practice and how to develop a rubric around using heart rate. And then we presented it to the teachers in the district. And then that conversation expanded because there's a lot of like, we've got to hold kids accountable. And we were trying to push back with, but we want this to be a meaningful experience for students. Um, and so because in the alternative setting, I don't use the heart rate aspect of the rubric. I don't know, Shelby, you want to circle back and talk a little bit more about that. But we, we developed the rubric to have heart rate um, and we base it on, you know, a certain number of minutes, 
using that like we are one-to-one -one with the polar wrist devices at the high school level every single kid in the district got a wrist device and we're one-to-one -one chromebooks so they had that technology that they could use but we also created on the rubric steps and sort of there was a big debate about well how do you determine how many steps because do you account for stride length because my steps i'm going to take more steps than chad to cover the same ground um, and so that's when we decided to set the rubric up. Um, thank you for sharing your screen. Um, to set the rubric up around a baseline. So for steps, it starts with a baseline. And so the first week I had students just submit a screenshot of what they did and then added a thousand steps to that baseline. So every one of my students has their own rubric. And so each week when I look at their activity, um, their grade is based on whatever their baseline was. We also then set it up for every five weeks, we would add um, either more minutes for heart rate or we would add more steps. Now, what I have found in my differentiation practice, my students are not meeting the baseline plus a thousand. We are, we are still sort of in pandemic mode and many of my kids are still not coming to school. Um, so I have left them, now that we are at the end of the first nine weeks, they are still in the one to five week rubric. And I felt like that's what I need to do for my students because I'm gonna set them up to fail if I keep upping the number of steps and they're still not meeting that first baseline. And so that's been kind of the trick. Now, what teachers in our comprehensive high schools would say about this rubric might be very different. Um, so, we, we can talk a little bit more about what the intention <laughs> was to be, but then I'm talking about how I take that rubric and have modified it to meet the needs of kids who are just not doing school very well. Just to add to what Shannon was saying, I had um, on my screen share um, on the bottom of the rubric that Shannon was talking about, um, we have a uh, weighted grading based on intensity, and this is to be in accordance with the physical activity guidelines of moderate to vigorous physical activity, 150 minutes a week. Um, so uh, when students do vigorous physical activity, they essentially get a two for one deal with their minutes um, towards that rubric that Shannon was outlining about minutes that progresses week by week. So I think, you know, the, the standard sort of activity logs and, and heart rate are sort of what's comfortable. And, and it was alluded to in the chat that heart rate, health related fitness knowledge and fitness based stuff is, is sort of the standard. But, you know, as we get more experience about this, as we talk to more teachers, as our students are involved in online teaching, I think our conceptualizations about what's possible and our creativity, I think, uh, will expand a little bit more. So um, do we want to jump over to the, the peak faculty just kind of see how this is happening? unfolding within the, the different programs, Jen or Kaysen? Yeah, I'm happy to, uh, to jump in here. Um, and, and really, we this is kind of an open discussion, but I mean, I want to come back to the PEAT faculty, as Chad said, and, you know, we're starting to see as happened with COVID that we need to do things on our P end of things to prepare our students. And while this target is still moving, uh, David and team, what do you think, you know, what pedagogy based skills should our PEAT students know? Like, 
what should our students know going into teaching online PE or even just opinions or thoughts? I think that's a good place to start. Uh, if you ask me pre-COVID, I would tell you uh, they first need to know it exists. Um, but now that we're uh, now that we're here, most of all, they they kind of all do know that. Um, I think we need to talk about like kind of bright, broader concepts. I know one big deal is um, I teach a course and I've taught it for the last four years. It's a graduate level course and it's uh, teaching methods of online health and physical education. And I've mostly viewed that course as a graduate level course because I still do believe you got to kind of teach face to face first uh, before you start trying to transfer all that uh, pedagogy skill over to an online environment. Um, the biggest thing I would say if I was teaching an undergrad, which I did during COVID, how to deal online, um, was the biggest hurdle was they had to have solid content knowledge in what they wanted to put online first. So then we could get over the tech hurdle of learning about the concept of just like module building. So once we kind of learned about like a long, like a learning management system and module building, that was a good way to get kicked off. But they had to have the content knowledge first. Uh, so then that we could just focus down on just the best practices and just online education in general. Uh, so that's kind of where I would uh, start with it. Read my mind, Tyler. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm right there with you. It, they have to have, I mean, think about all the things that we teach them in a, in a PEAT program from content knowledge to the pedagogical knowledge and, and the different ways of assessing and all that other stuff, right? It, it's the same concepts. We're just presenting it in a slightly different way. So, so one way I think that we need to think about this as, as PEAT faculty is how are our students engaging with submitting our, our assignments and how can we integrate technology or even you know, pedagog you know, online pedagogical principles in, in the ways they're submitting? So for example, um, in, in some type of course design um, class that, that maybe, you know, like maybe you have a curricular models class or something or an assessment class or something like that, have them build it out using some of the tech tools that are available and having them submit their examples of assessment um, using those online mediums or those, those web-based or um, learning management-based systems where they've built it out in a learning management system. Um, I think those of us that have used lots of different learning management systems, it's once you've learned one, you've kind of learned them all. The, the things are in slightly different locations, but I mean, they pretty much all operate in the same, same set of design principles. So, um, you know, some ways I've done this as well is uh, there's ways that you can give your undergrad students kind of the, the teacher view of uh, learning management systems and having them submit their, like I said, I've had them submit their curricular design processes, their, their curricular design assignments, you know, in the learning management system, um, as opposed to getting a paper copy of it, or a, even a, you know, a, a 30, 40, 50 page, you know, Word document. They're submitting it essentially as a web page. Um, so I think we can apply the same projects that we have, just having our students submitting it digitally using the tools that online teachers would use. Um, and, and I think there's, there's lots of benefits to this. If they end up teaching face-to-face, -face, great, fine. They can use those same tools and those same strategies, the face-to-face -face environment and if they end up teaching online, great. They have those tools and they have that expertise at that point. So I think it's kind of a win-win scenario. And I think our tech advocates would agree with me on that. Um, but, you know, that's, there's, I don't think we need to rethink Pete. I think we need to rethink how we have our students submit assignments um, and where we can purposely integrate uh, those just essential 
you know, online pedagogical um, tools. So David, you bring up a good point that I wanted to follow up on is I'm sure there's people in this room and I partially myself, like to the Pete faculty, where do we start? You know, I know you mentioned that crossover, but like, and how they submit assignments, learning the LMS, but like, you know, if you're talking to me, where, where do I start implementing this in my PEAT program? If I want to do something this semester, what could I do? Nothing this semester. It's too late, <laughs> right? Look to the future, right? We all know this, right? I think the same, same advice that we probably give all of our teacher candidates applies here. Pick one thing, implement it, you know, do one thing well, as opposed to a lot of things poorly. So slowly integrate, you know, one new thing, you know, see how it works. You know, don't try to shift the sun and the moon. Um, you know, we need to keep it simple for ourselves and we need to keep it simple for our students. If we try to do too much too quickly, it's just going to backfire and it's going to be ugly for everybody. So, you know, whether you want to introduce a specific app, like seriously, pick one app that you think is really cool and, and try to integrate that into your course. Um, if you want to, you know, shift one assignment online, um, or to using some type of you know tech tool to do that again. Just just pick one thing and, and do it well. That would be my that would be the best advice I could give. Is just do one thing, try to do that really well, figure that out, and then if you can figure out you know then you can implement it across different courses, or you want to expand the way that you use it the following time that you teach that course. But you know, kiss principle. <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you this is an interesting uh, topic because it was just told to me about two weeks ago that. Um, from our dean of our teachers college that they would be looking at uh, for their next accreditation cycle at us. Uh, how do we teach our, you know, pre-student teachers uh, to teach in a variety of modalities? And they're just hinting at like, how do they teach online or hybrid? And so we need to be able to like show that we actually do expose them to that. And I've been toying around with the idea of putting it into our assessment course, because I think in our assessment course, it kind of lends itself to the module building aspect of it, where they put the content out there. I'm like, okay, once you put the module like content in the module and have a student do, do that, it actually exposes bad content knowledge because you have to lay it out on paper. But then to that, okay, now you got your content out there in your module. How are we going to assess that and what makes the most practical sense to assess it online? And I think it's a kind of a good spot for it. At least that's where I'll be toying with it uh, this coming spring. I'm bad at keeping it simple like um, uh, David had mentioned. So something that I'm currently doing with the children's movement class, it's a the one-stop shop class that elementary physical ed or elementary education majors at the University of Illinois are required to take to help prepare them for physical activity in the event that the elementary school they're at would not have a physical education teacher. And the way that I've tried to integrate um, online learning into that class is through giving them options to give them autonomy with their final project. So one of the options is to do their final presentation via creating their own Canvas course um, and inserting their lesson plan onto the course just to start getting them thinking about how to use an LMS. And one thing that helped me out with that, to add to your point, was I kind of like they had their lesson plan traditionally, then I kind of gave them a script, almost like a mag gab to create their like module with. And that seemed to help them kind of translate it from the face-to-face -face aspect to like the online. I'll jump in here with uh, one thing we're doing with our PEAT candidates uh, to get them experience using these platforms and these tools um, with the online fitness for life course that we teach. Uh, the PEAT students uh, that are more advanced in our program are able to sign up as peer coaches for students who are willing 
or uh, need extra help uh, and willing to work with someone else. And that gives them real experience using the online tools um, and working with individuals. Um, but uh, to formally build that into our program, like many of you have mentioned, is is really difficult. It is more graduate level work in my mind because of everything we have to prepare uh, pre-service teachers for to reach the level of initial teaching candidates, uh, including the face-to-face -face aspects. Um, so we initially started that just to, to let them know that you know these things exist, as Tyler mentioned. Um, they may have no background information or knowledge or experience working with technology and online physical education. Um, but we also started it because of the uh, possibilities for accommodation and individualization to help students be successful as they pursue their fitness goals uh, and track their, uh, their workouts by your heart rate. Um, so um, I think in the future, you know, it might be a different conversation when we look at their socialization into technology and use in physical education, because now um, our current students that are first year students have experienced online physical education in some form. Um, and just like uh, we are cautious as physical education teacher educators that students who experience their K-12 physical education face-to-face -face programming, it's not always quality experiences and we have to reshape their beliefs as to what's possible and what it could look like. Uh, same thing's true now with online and technology use in physical education because uh, many of their online experiences happened with no preparation, support, professional development, time, resources provided for the teachers who had to, had to deliver it during their K-12 experience. So that's going to continue in the future. Yeah, and to Daniel's point, you know, in that teaching methods of uh, online physical education graduate course that I've been teaching for four years, um, pre-COVID, a lot of them would come in out of curiosity to the class, and they'd be really apprehensive at first to be even, you know, teaching, try, trying to have a class to, like, teach you to teach online physical education. Um, but after the course, um, I would have students, you know, reach out to me, uh, seeing this as an opportunity for a side gig to supplement income, or even see it as a possible opportunity uh, for after retirement to maybe teach one or two online courses and then seek them out after they have taken my class. I, I can see that kind of uh, now being a little bit more appealing. Uh, now for the undergrads now knowing that you know it is it's a viable option that was great stuff yeah i think you know the the socialization aspect is you know down the road maybe we need to have an online physical education course for our undergrads to take as part of their content development uh, maybe one of the physical activity courses or a health related fitness knowledge course could be transitioned online just to provide them with a positive uh high quality experience um as to what online PE could be. Um, so uh, this was a great conversation. I wanna thank all of our panelists and, and everybody here. Uh, again, we're all a little bit burnt out from the online PE thinking, um, but you know, it kind of is here to stay as we've seen. And, and now it's, it's up to us to sort of determine how we wanna integrate that into our PE program slowly uh, and deliberately uh, while the research comes in to build that evidence base, while we gain our experience in our own selves, while our students gain experience um, themselves. Um, we will stay after any of the panelists that want to stick around for a little bit or any participants on the call want to stick around till about 530. We can continue the conversation. You can ask uh, uh, some more specific questions if you'd like. Um, I know Hans has a, a quick announcement to make before we head out, so we'll unmute him. But um, thanks, everybody, for coming. Uh, we appreciate your time and, and, and the contribution of the panelists.
Hans, I think you can unmute. Yeah, I think Thank I you. just did. Nice. <laughs> uh, thanks, uh, folks, both the panelists and the organizers of the Peak Collaborative for this uh, for this informative session again. Uh, it just goes to show me that uh, I am completely illiterate um, in, in uh, many ways when it comes to online physical education. Um, I want to put in a quick plug uh, for uh, the annual Mike and Terry Metzler Distinguished Lecture that's taking place tomorrow. Uh, it's at eight o'clock in Arizona, eight o'clock a.m. Uh, in Arizona. So it's what, 11 o'clock a.m. In, in, on the East Coast in Atlanta. Um, this year, uh, Tom Ferry, who I suspect most of you will know from his involvement in the Aspen Institute, will be the uh, distinguished lecturer. Um, he focuses on youth sport, and I think it's something that perhaps uh, most of us uh, are interested in or should be interested in. Um, is, is there any way, Jamie, that you can perhaps quickly I, uh, I put the share. description to the session in the chat, um, just if you scroll up a few. Ah, splendid, things, and splendid. And then also the registration link. The registration link is the most important one. It's free, by the way, there's no charge. Uh, it's just that they have a sense as to who's participating. Um, and then I think uh, Georgia State uses uh, WebEx as the uh, the um, group Zoom type platform. So um, again, uh, Tom Ferry, uh, I, I've heard him speak before. He's written some terrific uh, books on youth sport. Um, uh, and so just an encouragement. I'm just putting a plug in for this lecture. It should be a good one. So thanks for the time, folks, uh, Chad and Jamie and Risto and everybody else on the panel or on the, on the organizing committee for the Pete Collaborative. Appreciate it. And thank you to the panelists again for sharing their insights. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, go ahead, Chad. I was gonna say, thanks, Hans. Um, that is, uh, it, it's, a, it's a great lecture series. So if you can attend, I, I encourage everybody to attend. Um, as for formal uh, conversation, we're sort of done. If you have other things to do, feel free to go. Um, like I said, we'll stick around a little bit longer um, for some informal conversation. So if you have some extra questions, uh, feel free to hang out and we'll be here to try to answer them. And if I can just add something to you, I'm really excited to see the practitioners again on the call. And this is something you know, really deliberate that we're excited to invite practitioners, K-12 practitioners to these calls and share with us. And so real special thanks to those folks um, who joined us from the K-12 community. Um, we can't do our job without you all. So we're really happy that you're here. Um, also, just as a reminder, um, the Peak Collaborative uses the same link every month um, and we meet on the same second Thursday of the month. Um, our next Peak Collaborative is scheduled for November 11th and we'll have details about the topic um, at sooner to the time. So bookmark this in your, in your calendar and save the link because um, it will be the same for the rest of the year. So thanks again so much. Um, we'll close the formal session and then move into some informal time um, for folks who are interested. Thanks so much, everyone. Yeah, and you know...